I'm the Property Funder, better known as Michael Dean, and this is the Property Funder podcast. I'm a successful entrepreneur, investor, NED and advisor. As co-founder of Avermore Capital, I'm best known for having financed over a billion pounds of property developments and investments by value during my career so far. During my time in business, I've come across an incredibly broad spectrum of successful people all with their own unique experiences working in a variety of industries. I want to speak to these people and learn more about them. I'm not looking to have the world's biggest podcast, so if just one person benefits from what my guests have to say, then that to me would look like success. And if you are that one person, then you should probably not tell anyone about this. And hello, welcome to the Property Funder podcast. And I am here and I'm joined by Justin. Justin, what's your full name? What is your business? And please describe what your business does. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Um, my name's Justin Lunny. Um, my business is all about delivering and creating iconic electric cars. Um, business is called Everati. And um, the business has been created essentially to allow recovering petrol heads like myself, uh, the ability to drive really cool and exciting cars in a world that we're moving into, which is clean air and um, sustainability, really. So we create the, the cars that people might have had on their bedroom walls back in uh, back in the day uh, and increasingly some more futuristic cars as well um, into fully electric vehicles. Now, as a as a as a bloke, as a, I, I wouldn't describe myself as a petrol head, but I am definitely a a a, a fan of cars, motor racing as well. Uh, definitely love love sports cars. Loved um, you know the Lamborghini Countach uh, when I was growing up. The Ferrari Testarossa remains my you know my dream car, at least a, a dream poster car. I think uh, the 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 running of a car like that, I'm not sure I'd be quite so keen on. Um, yeah. Look, what got you into that line of uh, line of work? What got you into that business? Mm. Uh, what what were the steps you had to take to get there? You know, like talk us through your kind of career yeah. journey because I know you've had before you started Everati, you were a very successful entrepreneur, and I think that that would be something really interesting to learn about too. Yeah, so my background actually is in tech, I guess technology, but but in the business development areas. So I had my career was principally. Um, in companies such as Hewlett Packard, SAP, um, and Accenture spin-off, for example. Um, and then from so 26 to 2006 to about 2016, uh, um, or had built um, some a couple of fintech businesses actually. So one within payments, um, and then the other one that um, my partner and I funded was in uh, online lending, sort of B2B lending as well. Um, all, all fintech and all kind of fully regulated FCA um, businesses. Um, but having sold those businesses around 2016, 17, was looking for something else to do and uh, knew I wasn't going to retire at that point, but wanted to get into sort of something that I, I was more passionate about, essentially. And two things happened. As you know, I've got, got kids. Um, 
our oldest child, um, our daughter now, our daughter is now um, 12, but at the time around sort of 20, 2017, um, sort of seven year old girl was starting to worry about climate change. So she was worried about the earth flooding. Um, and I don't know which teacher had, had told about this, but it was getting slightly awkward. Um, and I just decided at that point, is there something I can do in, in clean tech or something around the piece? Um, I knew I wasn't going to be the next Elon Musk um, and solar panels, whilst interesting, don't really excite me. So I started looking at where, ways of getting into the, uh, the automotive industry, which is um, you know, my passion for cars. Um, and then something else happened, which was I used to live right in the centre of Windsor, uh, opposite Windsor Castle. And I don't know if you know, but when Harry and Meghan got married, they actually drove away from their wedding from Windsor Castle in a, in a prototype electric E-type, so electric Jaguar. Uh, and that really was my light bulb moment to say that that would be a really, really cool business to, to be involved with. Um, uh, and, and that's really when I started researching you know, researching the market. Um, and it's fair to say at that point, I was looking into the market and you know, what I could invest in as an investor rather than a business owner. Um, and the conclusion I came to at the time, uh, and I think still is the case, is that there were a lot of businesses out there in this space that were sort of emerging. Um, everybody, everybody from somebody under the arches, you know, in a sort of a workshop, pulling bits of old electric car to part and trying to fit them in a, another car. Um, but nobody was really doing this in what I would say a, a consistent and um, way that was safe and, and had the right quality levels. And given my background in the FCA regulated businesses, I kind of wanted to do it properly. Uh, and that's why we started uh, started the business back then. So I, I guess, you know, without an, without that sort of engineering scientific background, unless I missed, uh, missed something there in, in terms of whether that was something you studied at university, um like how, how did you know how did you kind of get where into you start? it yeah where, where did yeah, you start because I, I i mean i wouldn't know i wouldn't know the first place to to look really no i mean i'm i'm one of these people i think i just get on with it and, and do the research and uh and, and crack on really so um you know i didn't know anything about payments until we started the payments business i didn't know anything about lending until i started a lending business um, my wife and I also had children's nurseries, and again, we hadn't hadn't done that before, and, and managed to to sell that as well um, to private equity, sort of eight nine years after after opening. So I guess even though I don't see myself as a huge risk taker, um, I guess the the background would show that I probably am. Um, how we started this business, and I say we, so I have a, a business partner um, who is ex automotive, so he's been in the automotive industry for fifteen plus years. Um, and in premium automotive, so Daimler Benz, Mercedes Benz for the last 12 plus years. Um, started the business plan uh, around 2018 um, and started to look for how we would do this. So the kind of roles we would need, um, both in terms of engineering, design, build, uh, and then obviously premises and everything else that goes with sort of uh, getting set up. Um, and then started raising money. Um, right at the beginning of 2020 when the you know when the business plan was ready um and funny old thing um something happened in march uh, which was that we had the plan out to certain individuals uh and the week after we started getting the plan out was you know was locked down uh, in london um now you you might imagine that's the ideal time to sort of stop <laughs> um and plan you know plan for doing this um once once the clouds have passed but actually 
what we found was um, it was a really good time to actually hire the people we needed. So, uh, you know, there were people at that point being let go from McLaren, Lotus, JLR, Bentley, and really, really good people. So people that had been, you know, universities um, generally in the UK and the Midlands, so you know, Warwick, Coventry, um, sort of automotive and engineering um, backgrounds. And we were able to hire uh, initially some really good people that then morphed that into to a, a full team. So that was in many ways for us, the pandemic um, was slowed us down, but actually allowed us to hire the right people, which is which was great. And, th- and then, of course, once you've done that, um, you can really start to get into the weeds of, of how you're going to do this and, and, and what your proposition is going to be longer term, I guess, as well. Yeah, I, I have an expression that I, n- I never like to waste a good crisis. And clearly, mm. clearly you, you've taken advantage of a, a, the crisis in 2020 and and put that to put that to good use, because um, presumably, at, uh, presumably at the time, you know, March, April, lots of people were being furloughed or being laid off by these That's by right. these, these companies. Obviously, there's if you can't leave your house then who's going to need cars etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, and of course we mm. we've seen that play out with the global supply chains in in the across all industries but i suppose the auto uh, auto industry being chief amongst them so where where have you based your your headquarters obviously your you live in in surrey but where, where's the everati headquarters where where's the sort of central yeah. hub yeah so we um we chose uh, an, an area which is you know, fondly known as motor, motorsport valley, motorsport triangle, really. So it's in, uh, it's actually in Oxfordshire, so uh, not far from uh, Bicester, uh, actually on a, an ex RAF or ex US Air Force base, which is perfect because it has that feeling of, you know, you shouldn't really be there because it's kind of on an ex base um, and also has a brilliant runway that we can test our cars on. So, um, and it's also really, really good for recruitment. So again, you know, a lot of our, our team are, RX, whether it's JLR or or um, Bentley or some of the other suppliers in the area. I mean, you know, there's people, there's Formula E teams, there's Formula One teams. You know, within within 20 minutes drive, really, of where we are, we've got Silverstone down the road, obviously, as well. So the the talent pool in that area is perfect, um, and it also lead, lends really well to our business model, which is we have a you know an engineering centre of excellence there, um, but then we sell cars globally and that's a real advantage to us you know we can genuinely say that our cars are designed and and, and really developed by people who have, have developed you know uk-based hypercars or aston martins or bentleys um you can't say that so easily if you're based in you know southern california or wherever else it might be in the world so we've got a real advantage there and we genuinely do redefine these cars so the right weight distribution the right power uh, for that vehicle, um, uh, such that they are really kind of a, a, a better version of themselves um, and, a, and a more uh, e- ecologically friendly in terms of emissions, at least. Um, but actually, you know, way more fun to drive in many respects as well. So, so, so that, that location really is about staff. It's about um, access to things like runways and stuff. There's not many spare runways in Surrey that I've found, for example. Um, so, yeah, it works really well. Yeah, I I I think um it it's maybe really surprised me when I watched the Formula 1 Drive to Survive program uh, as to you've got these international uh Formula 1 teams that have got 
owners from all over the world and yet the vast majority of them i'm i'm thinking it's more than 70 percent of them are are based or have their headquarters including uh renault which obviously has been uh re- renamed now alpine but even renault uh which obviously is a french you know knowing how french industries are and how how you know how 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 protective they can be of of french uh, companies and having everything on french soil even renault has their their base in uh it, i guess in uh, in that triangle that you speak of and it's like you say it's that uh, it, it's the agglomeration of industries that attracts that talent pool it's probably yeah. why the city of london of course is, and and new york um are these real financial hubs because actually it's all about having all that uh, all that talent all that skill in one place and people want to be near each other so mm. that makes that makes a lot of sense to me and are you are you in the office all the time or or are you sort of there a few no, days a week time um so I'm, I'm there probably uh, two to three days a week, depending on, on other travel commitments. Um, but yeah, just to, just to follow on from, from what you've said there, I was really, really pleasantly surprised by, you know, people people say nothing gets built in the UK anymore, but actually if you go to, you know, up to Coventry, for example, if you go to some of the areas that we, yeah, we visit, um, things like Composix expertise, you know, people building uh, parts for, um, vertical takeoff and landing uh you know basically flying cars you know drones um right through to a motor you know high-end motor providers that we work with um that are uk based some of the very best motors in the world you know in our in the bulk of our cars that we produce now um the motors we use are a british company those same motors are in the lotus avaya electric hypercar they're in uh, various different um vtol products they're in um the Neo EP9, which was at that point the, the fastest car EV ran the Nurburgring. So you've got some excellent technology companies in the area. Uh, when we when we first arrived at our sites in uh, in Upper Hayford, um, you've got fully fully um, uh, fully electric, but also fully autonomous race cars driving around. You've got uh, you've got electric um, pedal assist uh, vans. You've got an EV toll company, you've got a motor company, and this is just in in the space of a relatively modest airfield in in Oxfordshire. We're all on the same in, environment. We don't call it a campus yet, but you can kind of start to see how all these companies interact and, and can help each other, which is which is fantastic. And again, most people in outside of the space wouldn't necessarily recognise that these things exist in the UK. Yeah, I mean, I imagine the the sharing of ideas and the, the transference from one particular sector to another is is incredibly valuable i mean you you talk quite you talk quite passionately about um you know technology and manufacturing in in the uk uh and and obviously it's great to see um what do you think that we as we in the uk could do better to to enhance our manufacturing and technological capabilities because it feels like any time it feels like you know obviously you've bought you've built and sold a number of companies it, it feels like you know when it comes to like a uk tech company we don't uk tech companies as one example we don't have that many unicorns it's like we get any of our winners they seem to get gobbled up quite quickly and never have the opportunity yeah. to become these sort of global giants um yeah. you know you, you think about something like someone like a google would have just been bought up by a microsoft or you know yahoo yeah, or whatever it just wouldn't have worked in the uk and, and you're absolutely right and i think you, you mentioned it on a, on a few of your previous uh podcasts actually which is um 
you know, the attitude, the attitude of investors in the UK um, is is nowhere near um, as supportive, I suppose, as you would find in Silicon Valley, certainly, or in or in in, in that area. And yet, there are some pretty incredible um, entrepreneurs, um, technologists, inventors. Um, you know, if you, if you kind of almost were able to pick up the likes of Motorsport Valley and Coventry and, and dump it in Arizona, for example. So next next to yeah, next to California, but not quite the costs of, uh, of doing business. Um, you, you know, that there would be some incredible success stories, I'm sure. So so I think, unfortunately, the reality is, you know, we've got the great educational background. We've got a lot of R&D, but we we don't have that access to capital. Uh, but I think we uh we 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 dearly need um and yeah we found it through our funding uh round so our first funding round was again during the pandemic so flying around the world was not very straightforward um the second funding round we started um just kicking off uh you know when ukraine was kicking off so again not not ideal in terms of investor sentiment but um you know again i think yeah, we, certainly we're, we're a small british company building a brand that i think will be globally recognized you know very shortly um and over half of our investors are from north america which is kind of crazy when you think you, you'd have hoped and, and imagine that a lot more would be domestic and, and wanting to see companies like ours succeed yeah i in in a way i'm not surprised uh that that you've got a lot of American investors, and I did want to ask you about the funding round because I guess mm. the time, when the timing of that funding round, obviously, as you said, you can't go and see people face to face. And the other thing, I suppose, is if you've got a prototype that, uh, which as as we as I know, you you will have had you've you've had a few now, um, most famously the the Porsche that uh, that you with the uh, with the famous livery that that matches right. uh, slightly matches what you, the, the the fantastic picture behind you. Um, it's it's the sort of thing that you're going to raise money much easier if you can't if you can go and scratch and sniff it. Whereas Absolutely. you can't really do you can't do that on a on a Zoom call or a Teams call in the same way. It's just, it just doesn't come to life in the same way. So, I, you know, how, how did you overcome the the challenge mm. of of not being able to put the product in front of the investor or be able to have that kind of face to face interaction that we know is so so much more effective and powerful? How, how did mm. you you know how, how did you work around that and how did you tr- how did you find a way to make uh, make that fundraising round a success despite those challenges? Yeah, so, so the first the first round was actually um, very early. So it was kind of friends and family, really. Um, and if I'm honest, we had nothing other than an idea and, and a PowerPoint. So at that point, it really was very early people. It was, um, you know, if if, uh, if you're familiar with things like EIS, you know, it was, it was an EIS based round. So it's kind of very tax efficient for uh, for UK taxpayers, as an example. Um, so, you know, you could argue that round was pretty much a punt for a lot of people uh, and it was people that believed in you know, me and, and, and my team um, but it really was that good old-fashioned knocking on a load of doors um, presenting on zoom presenting on teams and and really getting some money across the line which was great so that was the first part the we then had our first um, prototype car running in fact we we're doing um, donuts in the rain at the good at the uh, top gear test track uh, in December 2020, so that was the first sort of first uh, prototype vehicle, and then we 
launched our first kind of customer facing vehicle, which is a beautiful um, candy apple red uh, 911 um, in late May 2021 and that was really the first time people could start to see where we were going you know as an output um, and given our cars are are basically designed and engineered by some of the best EV engineers in the world but then they're built by some of the best builders in the world so and built by you know various different people whether they're Porsche experts or, or Land Rover on the Land Rover side or, or whatever it might be um, so once people then see it, you're absolutely right. They get it and they get the fact that, you know, it, it, and then then we were very lucky, I suppose. And again, in, in our timing, which was. Journalists really got on to what we were doing, so we had a lot of really positive PR um, during back in 21 uh, into early 22 as well. So that then started YouTube videos. It started, you know, various different bits on on Top Gear, bits on Fifth Gear, and and that that element really started to to drive it forward. Um, it's still tricky, don't get me wrong. Yeah, we, we just delivered our first Californian uh, car, um, but of course the customer wanted it pretty quickly, so we didn't have very much time for a journalist in it. But um, you, you're right. It, touching and feeling a product like that and seeing the quality is is actually really important. And we're gradually getting better at that, I suppose, now that we've got more hardware around us, really. Yeah, for sure. And so so has that made this, the the latest fundraising round, which you, you kicked off last year, that, that bit easier having now you've got the it product has. in front of people? It has, definitely. So I think, you know, having that proof point, you know, we've we've got some sound bites, bites from some incredible journalists that, that really um, got got what we do um so that's made it easier uh, i'm not saying it's a walk in the park because again you know that the sort of global uh, economic climate is not necessarily perfect as, as we all know that said you know we're getting people on that are you know really interesting folks that they're, they're sort of tech entrepreneurs they're tech billionaires in, in many in many cases that realize that unless we do what we do which is take these incredible cars and kind of actually make them more usable, more drivable, and more enjoyable. Yes, you lose some bits, but you gain a lot more at the same time, um, which no doubt we'll talk about later. But but actually, once you get a couple of those on board, they tell their friends, and their friends want to invest. So so it becomes very much more of a, a word of mouth thing. Um, and look, we're still we're still talking to investors now, and, and the great thing is that we can properly demonstrate the cars. You know, we've got an 800 horsepower GT40, which is uh, you know there's not many other people that um, are in, are in that space. Um, uh, and, and, and of course, that offers other opportunities for growth of the business as well. So, so yeah, it's um, it's it's not been straightforward uh, or, or all, always straightforward, but it's far easier, as you say, when you've got something to show. And, and in this most recent round, how much are you looking to raise? How much you've been? Um, how much you? So about sort four million sterling. Um, yeah, about four million sterling, and we're about halfway there actually, mm. uh, which is great. Um, and really, this round is all about growth. So. We've proven the concept with now we're now scaling up so we're post revenue um and we and actually the the great thing i suppose about the business we're in um you know we've got probably um three to four times worth of opportunity in our pipeline than we ever thought we would on a b2c side so consumers specifying and commissioning vehicles but we've also opened up a huge opportunity around a business to business opportunity, which is that yeah, if you think that in most major markets globally, either by 2030 
and yeah, in, in many others, 2035, which sounds like a long time away, but it's not that far away. Um, pretty much every vehicle, every new vehicle has to be um, clean energy, whether that's EV or maybe hydrogen or something else. Um, and there's a lot of niche or low volume um, brands or manufacturers out there that clearly want to take their cars to market. And, and unless they are uh, clean energy, they're just not going to make it. So that's opened up opportunities for us to develop powertrains for companies in Dubai, in uh, in um, in LA, in Singapore. So we're we're starting to see quite a lot of opportunity around those spaces as well. And uh, are you developing relationships as well with some of the major car manufacturers, uh, particularly on the sports in the sports car arena? Um, kind of being like almost like a Everati being the uh, the electric the electric equivalent of say AMG was to Mercedes is that is that a direction yeah. that you're looking at uh, that you're looking at going it is it's, so it's not necessarily with, with major manufacturers but it's definitely with those who are um, niche brands um, who have a pedigree in whether it's motor racing motorsport or carbon composites as an example um, and look you know if you're if you're in that space and you've been used to just going out going out and buying an engine from whether it's AMG or or, or any of the of the sort of performance manufacturers, that business model doesn't really hugely exist in in the EV world. So yes, you could go to Williams Advanced Engineering, you could go to Rimac, um, but they those businesses tend to be you know much more uh, or certainly much higher higher cost of of doing business. The great thing with our business is we can always prove what we've done and we can show people what we've done, uh, and, and we're, we're probably more of an agile tech company. Um, than, than some of the players out there. And therefore, yes, there are opportunities to, to do that. So almost, so we, we, we term it a sort of our variety advanced technologies business or are powered by a variety as opposed to a finished car. How many people have you got and currently working for you? I, I would say full-time, but it's it just, just generally, I mean, and is everyone yeah. full-time or some people contractors? So full-time is, is only around 20 people, um, but we are, the way we've architected the business really is that we are relatively low, um, uh, low, low infrastructure costs. So we, we, we have 20 people right now that will probably be 40, 45 by the end of the year. Um, but because of our business model, which is we do all the engineering essentially, and then we work with um, very high end, probably the best build partners in the world depending on the market. So one example is um, we, we work with a company in Irvine, Southern California, who famously uh, built a lot of the early um, Singer Porsches that you may be, yeah, Porsche, the sort of Singer reimagined Porsches. Um, they're very well known for that. So, so we, we partnered with them to build our Porsches, for example. So very, very high quality, hand-built, largely composite body Porsches. Um, they do that work with us we do you know we, we do the rest effectively we are the brand and we provide the um the technology but what it means is we don't then have to invest at the moment in a, in a big facility in irvine and, and the people to go with it yeah because i was going to say four million pounds for 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 a company that manufactures cars um it doesn't sound like a lot of money and so it's not. what you're articulating there is that actually you're you're able to focus on focus on what you're good at focus on the technology which is i, I suppose the biggest value add 
and then uh, and then outsourcing the, the the build to other specialists that already have the infrastructure have have got the have got the ability to do that um and I, that's actually quite a, a nifty way of doing it just one last question yeah. one last question around the fundraising if i may and then we can kind of move on um and that's uh, and that's around the the us investors because you have such a large proportion of us investors do you see uh, did you have to make any modifications as to how you were uh, pitching to them obviously with uk investors you've got the benefit of seis and eis mm. for example um that presumably is of less advantage to american uh, investors so what what enticements can you give to american investors as opposed to a uk or european investor um that gives them that sort of um downside protection that exists mm. uh in, in so, startups that are less successful yeah it's a good question so i'll be honest in the main they because they don't get it anyway they don't look for it so much so we've not had to uh we've not had to modify our approach necessarily you know you, you'll be familiar with things like drag along tag along in, in as you know for shareholders right so um we have that anyway as you know in our in our um our articles but actually again the propensity for a us investor to get involved in something like this you know at the moment we're not we're not necessarily big ticket you know our our investors tend to be yeah minimum 100k up to sort of 500k as, as an investment which to some people is an awful lot of money to, to others is is not um and i guess when people buy into this generally speaking i mean a lot of our investors started out as customers and now they're becoming investors and then a couple have done it kind of in in parallel so um so yeah i guess i guess as much as anything they are they're passionate about what we do they're less worried probably about the downside and you know i'm sure there are i'm not familiar but i'm sure there are other ways of writing some of this stuff off if you if you want to in the us that i'm, I'm probably not familiar with but um but yeah so so now we've been we've been fortunate that we've not had to um change too much yeah we don't actively promote in the us it's more through word of mouth people that, that find us yeah linkedin's been our massive friend if i'm if i'm honest as well um you know i um I, i'm often hugely impressed by the people that approach us um uh yeah just just through through word of mouth on on the network really in in a lot of ways it's it's not entirely surprising you're you're scratching you're scratching an itch for for some of these investors because that they, they want to be consumers and it's a bit like kickstarter the the crowdfunding platform that you you like the product you know you like the product so therefore you invest in you invest in the company to enable the product to to get more of the product maybe a bit like the sort of the brew almost like the brew dog model as well that's exactly uh, right exactly right and i think we are and again we've, we've been you know I, I sometimes pinch myself but we had um to bear in mind we, we 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 launched if you like our pr exercise at a very low you know very very modest cost because again we had very little um money to spend at the time but we, we did some pr around the launch around late May, we had some, uh, we had some sort of journalists in the car. So we, that, that those stories started hitting the press, I guess, sort of June, July, 2021, you know, and then we had this email from a guy, um, he's now an investor and a customer from the Bay area. You know, he's, he's a guy called Matt Rogers. who's the founder of, of Google nest. Um, you know, 
we were a small at that point 12 person oxfordshire based company that's just had an inquiry from from a, a highly successful sustainability and tech uh, uh, individual a billionaire as it happens but you know he's, he's kind of made made his money um inquiring about buying a car and and again the power of the network the power of pr for us has been incredible we've had we've had senior vice presidents of other you know um, bay area tech companies we've had um we've had gcc based royal families we've had yeah so you know as a, as a as a small business um that's really all been around pr and then the amplification of that pr should we say on linkedin and the like we've not spent really a penny on advertising as an example so so we've been very fortunate that we are of the moment we are you know kind of in the zeitgeist i guess you could say which is um in the bay area specifically you know there are there must be hundreds of thousands of EVs, Teslas, Taycan, you know, Mercedes, um, EQs, or whatever it might be. Most of those individuals, and, and certainly the, the people that I spoke to, will never drive a combustion engine car again, but they love cars. And, and, and therefore, the only option, frankly, is, is to do something you know, combined with what we do, which is engineer them properly, make them good fun. Um, so yeah, so we've been very, very fortunate that um, the promotion of our brand, the promotion of what we do, has been very well received by by thought leaders, I suppose, in in that sort of environment. I mean, it's it's a really nice story up to now, and uh, you know, and hopefully it will continue in the same vein. So something that that struck me as we've been talking is that is the, is the challenge you must experience around you know when you you gave that list about all the you know GCC royal families coming and visiting you and we all know how demanding they can be as customers yeah. um you you've currently got great momentum but you're also a a small company with a small team and you've probably got a deluge of of inquiries and uh, and uh, you know and and orders for for cars that, and but of course as a small team there's only so much you can there's That's only right. so much there's only so much you can deliver and you, you've got I, I imagine you're walking a, a tightrope between deli- you know delivering too many units but with quality issues which as we both as we both know will be bad for you in the long term the flip yeah. side keeping your production tight and your, your production quality at, at the top level but then the customers losing losing interest and and you lose the, and you lose that momentum you know the air goes out of the balloon how 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 do you plan on uh, on navigating that um yeah. that challenge because i mean are you, you have a multitude of challenges as we all know as a as a, as a business mm. owner and an entrepreneur but that to me as a sort of in terms of maintaining that excitement and buzz around the company um, how, how do you keep that going uh, and, mm. and and find that balance? You know, and is is that or is that just an impossible task? Look, I think um, all the things you said are correct. I think the we are we're fortunate that we've got some great people. And for example, we're, we're just hiring um, a more formal production manager. So today, a lot of our cars have been, you know, basically engineering prototypes, and then so they're, they're really they're not sort of uh, ones that you would necessarily sell to a client um the, the position we've been in i guess is that because of our engineering we can we can replicate the powertrain the the elements that we need for our piece alongside these 
experts that are building the cars. So actually, um, in the main, the problem is slightly outsourced, but but actually to people who really do know how to scale. So uh, I mentioned uh, a company in Irvine that we, we work with. That, so they, as I say, they they worked with uh, Singer Vehicle Design, that are very famously known for, for you know for their Porsches, non EV today, but but for their Porsches. Um, yeah, they, they got to a cadence with them of doing sort of two to four cars um, a month. Um, and now Singer have insourced all of that. And, and in fact, Singer have a four year waiting list for their for their cars right now. So so I think it's it's a tightrope. But actually, you know, we as long as we're managing the partner relationship well, which, you know, is 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 definitely part and parcel of what we do um, and don't try to overstretch our development teams. In other words, we very specifically develop one model at a time and then scale it. So we do multitudes of Porsche, we do multitudes of the of, of, the, of the Land Rovers we're doing. Um, but once we've done that core engineering well, that is very replicable. And then it's really about those build partners. So so it, so it's not straightforward, but it's it's manageable. And then I think we're very fortunate that in that that kind of I'll say resto mod market, whether it is the, the single vehicle design. There's a number of others in the Porsche world, so people like Roof, Guntherworks, um, and a variety of others. Um, people are actually used to quite long waiting lists, um, so that's kind of kind of okay-ish. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, they're getting a hand-built car that, that's beautifully engineered. So I think there is an expectation that it's not going to be delivered in you know six months because these things do take time. Over time, we are then increasing capacity. So we have another Porsche partner that we're working with on the east coast of the US that will announce shortly that does a slightly different Porsche for us. Um, so again, you know that will become an extended product range, but actually it is um, using largely the same technology. So we're able to kind of mix and match those those elements. Um, but yes, it's not straightforward, and yes, we have a lot of uh, um, pulls and pushes on our on our time and our resources really. I mean, these these are obviously good problems to have. Um, you've, as as you sort sort of alluded to earlier, you you featured on Top Gear uh, not too long ago, and um, mm. if I'm if I'm right in my memory, it was your it was an electric Defender. Is that is that correct? So we we had the electric Porsche, um, and there was a, an electric Defender from another company actually that, that oh, okay um, okay so my is apologies. slightly different to us. Yeah, so they. Uh, and again, never speak uh, any anything other than positive about the market. But um, <laughs> but also the way Top Gear do, do things is um, is interesting because I have the footage of the the actual <laughs> the actual runway, and our car was about 200 foot ahead of anything else on the runway. There was some quite cool camera angles that Top Gear managed to get. But but the the great thing about all of this, as you can imagine, is it's a it's a lot of fun. But more importantly. Um, even though we do, there's a lot of keyboard warriors still out there saying, how dare you do this to a Porsche, a Land Rover, whatever it might be. The reality is that um, they're just better to drive. You know, our, our Porsche is still very analog. Um, it has the weight in the right places, the weight distribution in the right place, but it's about 60% more powerful than the original. And the funniest thing, I suppose, we went to a Porsche meet uh, last year, last summer. Um, and, you know, those guys can be very, very, um, keen on keeping a flat six in a, in a Porsche um, right until 
the slip road on the M25 and my colleague was driving our car and, and just lost a GT2. Um, uh, and he, he had his WhatsApp number and, uh, you know, just had, had messaged him afterwards saying, OK, I get it now. Um, and it really <laughs> was just a very straightforward, I get it now kind of conversation on a, on a WhatsApp. So, again, look, it's not it's still not for everybody. And we absolutely look, I'm a recovering petrol head, I like to call myself. You know, I um I still have a very, very nice and enjoyable um, combustion engine car but but less than five percent of the miles i drive are in that everything else is in an ev um and the reality is the reason we do what we do is to keep these incredible cars on the road and used because unfortunately um you know what unfortunately a lot of people don't recognize is they are becoming banned whether they're entirely banned or, or certainly banned in the places you might want to use them whether that's a city center uh, or just driving out for fun um I want to be able to see these cars in use and, and in being enjoyed. I don't want them to be stuck in a in you know in a collection or on a garage, um, or priced off the road due to congestion charging and all the other things that go with it. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a really nice. Um, yeah, I think that's a really nice um, motivation to want to res- you know preserve these classic uh, models and chassis. Um, I'm. I'm a recent convert to electric cars. I've had uh, a Tesla Model 3 for the last couple of years, and um, okay. when I have to drive our uh, when I have to drive our, our family uh, uh, you know our family SUV, which is diesel powered and and a pretty sluggish one at that, uh, it's uh, I, I I liken it to you know going back in time 30 years. You know the Tesla feels mm. like a spaceship by comparison. Um, mm. Obviously Teslas and Teslas and what you produce they're not uh they may have a similar drivetrain but they're they're completely they're obviously completely different in lots of other ways mm. you t- you touched on you touched on those Porsche enthusiasts and not not everyone feeling uh feeling like an electric version is is for them and i suppose the the question i would ask you is how do you approach those people who sort of feel like you've taken the soul out of uh, uh mm. taken the soul soul out of some of these classic cars when you put an electric drivetrain in them um clearly the the speed the speed and drivability uh, component of that um co- is is more than compensating but um you know i suppose in other in other context maybe they still have a point how do you how how do you square that off yeah, completely yeah no, I, I, so so we we recognize this isn't for everyone uh today um and you know i you know, I, I love the sound of a an amazing engine you know just the same as as anybody else um but I'm also a realist, which is to say, you know, if you look at, let's say, our, I mean, any car, but but if if you look, so, so for example, the Porsche 911 that we uh, we redefine as an EV, yeah, you know, that creates its or created its own entire body weight in CO2 every 2,000 miles, you know. So so, and I think if you've got kids, if you you know like to have grandkids, if you want a future for the planet. Um, there's the CO2, there's the, there's the, there's the, there's the warming issue around, around transportation. Um, number two, a lot of the cars we produce um, had no catalytic converters back in the day. So I certainly wouldn't want to be stuck, you know, had this conversation with somebody yesterday uh, at lunch, you know, being stuck in a, in a garage with the engine on with our car is, is a lot safer than being stuck in the car in, in a garage with, with, without what we've done so so there's, there's elements like that but then when it comes to just petrol heads enjoying driving i think the key thing for us is 
making sure that it's still an experience that people expect from that car. So yes, you've lost the sound, but what you've gained actually is yes, more power, but we 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 kind of redefine it, we tighten it up. It feels like a like a like a, a newer version of itself. As I talked about weight and weight distribution, that's hugely important to us. So we're not just chucking some batteries and motors in where they'll fit. Everything is CAD design, CAD engineers, um, fully tested and and kind of um, G-force tested in CAD and, and computer engineering before we even buy components. And when we bought components, they're then assessed to be correct. So, so actually, if you take our Porsche, Porsche products, for example, they're about the same weight as the original. So, you know, no, no one can say they are any heavier because you know, ours are very specifically not. Um, plus the weight's in the right place. So again, it feels like a Porsche. And then we do other things. So fully electronic, fully adjustable suspension on our cars, um, which means that it's, again, a far more usable proposition. Now, yes, you've lost the flat six. Um, but as I say, there are so many other elements that you kind of gain by doing this. Mm. Um, and and yeah, look, it's 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 far more usable by definition. But sometimes you won't, yeah, you won't you won't please everybody all the time. We also happen to do a um a sound augmentation package for our cars, um, which we we're still refining. But actually, if you switch it on, it actually reverberates through the chassis. So. You kind of you kind of get some of the best of both worlds. Um, it's not 100% like combustion just yet, but 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 it's a bit of fun and actually brings some of that emotion back from the sound perspective that that sometimes you lose in an EV. Yeah, I, I was going to ask whether you've got one of the where you've got any where you've got any of that sort of piped fake sound of the because I, I guess mm. that's the that that's probably one of the most satisfying things about a. A powerful sports car is 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 the the energy and the noise that you get from from when when the engine revs. Um, right. You, you mentioned hydrogen, and it's an area that I'm my, my wife and I are interested in because we've got some small investments in the hydrogen space. Mm. Um, uh, full disclosure, actually, we're uh, we also own some wind turbines, uh, so mm. uh, so we've also got. Uh, you know, we're, we're already quite active in the uh, the green energy space, and we also invest in a uh, in, in a company uh, that, uh, uh, that that does effectively an energy storage uh, company called Gravitricity. Um, but they they okay. themselves are actually moving into the into the gravity storage space as well as uh, the uh, electricity storage. Uh, do you have any plans to create hydrogen drivetrains as well? Um, for for Everati cars, is that is that an area of exploration, or are you actually actively working on it so, on on in, on hydrogen? No, stuff? so so today, um, and you know there are people that disagree with this, but today hydrogen just doesn't work in passenger cars. Um, it, you know, Toyota have tried it, um, and there was a stat I think earlier, and I'll try and find it, but it, you know, I think there was there's been fifty six thousand hydrogen cars delivered in the last 10 years, um, whereas you look at the millions upon millions of EVs that have been delivered. So just from a from a usability perspective, from a just an energy perspective, so they're far less um, uh, efficient, frankly, than an EV. So if you look at kilowatts to to create energy um, and then how that energy is used in an EV, it's far more efficient than any other uh, form of transport, hydrogen uh, included and indeed e-fuels and obviously petrol and diesel and the other challenge with hydrogen of course is it's not actually green you know it is the last 
breadth of the oil industry to try and create something that is largely produced by um you know by, by fossil fuels mm. now there are certain areas where green hydrogen is coming through um, and that's really exciting and i think if there is an opportunity and, and a way for that to be extended at a cost which isn't too high then that is is brilliant so it's one of the reasons why we're not called i don't know electric something or other everati there's ev in the name but it's mm. not specifically around electric electricity per se um and, and therefore we're leaving ourselves open for you know, other forms of, of energy to power these things. Um, but I would argue today, you know, for passenger vehicles, um, I mean, for example, I think, I don't know if there's more than two chargers in the whole of the, yeah, um, hydrogen chargers in the whole of the UK, uh, as an example. So, so it's a very difficult proposition to sort of uh, believe in right now. Will that change over time? Possibly. Um, like anything, we're open-minded. Um, but I think today it's it's not something that is is a realistic proposition for those. Is it right for large scale transportation, so trucks um, and who knows, you know, air, air transport in the future potentially? But again, there are so many downsides, unfortunately, to it today. Uh, you, you've got to transport it, you've got to get it somewhere. Um, and of course, hydrogen, you know, hydrogen bombs were out there at some point as well. Mm. So we kind of have to be careful with that. But look, it, 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 it we're open-minded, I think, and it's one of the reasons. Yeah, we've hired teams. Uh, yeah, we've our teams have built hybrid cars. They've built EV cars. They've built combustion cars. So uh, certainly, we're open-minded, I guess. But today, I, I think it's probably not uh, not sustainable, really, as much as anything else. Yeah, I, I suppose one of the, the reasons why we are interested in hydrogen. I mean, it helps that both Andreka and I have, have got science backgrounds as well, but. I think the the other thing that we the other thing that we're conscious of is that the you know the the, the primary components of, of batteries you know particularly things like lithium yeah. I think there's there's sort of two issues that that arise from it I mean lithium and other the other things other other battery components but uh, lithium being the principal one is is the first of it is the availability of lithium and being able to continually source enough lithium. You know, if we're if every vehicle is going to go is is going to go electric or is going to go some sort of clean tech, that's going to be that's yeah. going to put a lot of pressure on the production of batteries, plus the replacement of the existing batteries that will eventually wear out as we know batteries do. Um, mm. And then there's also that second secondary aspect of where are we getting this lithium from? And you know, there's there's certainly a lot of chatter about um, the likes of I'm not I mean uh, you know certainly not an accusation but you know certainly some of the larger uh, electric car manufacturers better known ones getting their uh, sourcing their, uh, their their battery components uh, from you know in from people who are mining lithium in maybe not mm. the most ethical of ways um, yeah again you know again I, I can't speak to that because it's not necessarily something that I know anything about and I'm not making any allegations of it but certainly that's mm. something that I'm sure you're you're thinking about and you're, you're conscious of, so Definitely. which is which is why, which is why I suppose the, the thought process around hydrogen is or other alternatives to electric, um, is the right is the right way to go. I mean, have you got any any thoughts around the longevity of lithium-based batteries, or you know, is are there other technologies yeah. around the corner that mean that maybe lithium is not what we're going to be relying on in the future? Yeah, no, I do. So I think that there's a lot of Unfortunately, like any new sector, there's a lot of um, 
fear, uncertainty and doubt created by proponents of one technology versus the other. So I think, I mean, lithium actually bizarrely is, is um, in, you know, I think there's, um, I mean, they're finding new lithium deposits globally. I think the bigger issue is, is obviously that things like cobalt, um, you know, and, and, you know, you see these videos of, of, um, of unfortunate children being, um, you know, within those environments. So what I would say is certainly all the sourcing of major manufacturers is, is as clean as it possibly can be. It's almost, it's almost the same as blood diamonds. You know, there are, there are diamonds out there that are unfortunately not, not sourced in the right ways. Um, then the other thing I would say is that people also forget that, that tech, those, those materials are exactly the same as they're in our laptops, our mobile phones, our, anything, frankly, with the battery. So, yeah, the 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 oil um, kind of uh, lobby will always say, well, isn't it terrible? But actually, the the keyboard warriors in that space are all typing on a mobile phone from Apple or a uh, you know or, or some other device, uh, and the battery in it is exactly the same um, as as you'll get in a, in an EV. So. Um, uh, slightly different chemical comp composition, but it's all lithium iron and it's it's basically the same technology. So I think that's the first thing I'd say. The second thing I'd say is that 20% of all deaths globally are down to the combustion industry. So if you look at air pollution, if you look at other things. Now, um, therefore, a few mines somewhere that hopefully get a bit rooted out and, and stopped. Um, are not the issue. It's actually the bigger issues, obviously, uh, is, is, is combustion generally. Um, and also people forget that, you know, I think there was a video I saw last week, it happened to be a gold mine, not not a cobalt mine, but people, you know, the anti-EV lobby were saying, isn't it terrible this this child is down a mine? It was actually gold they were mining, not not <laughs> not, not anything to do with a uh, any battery, let alone an EV. So I think there's that. And then, you know, there's now Teslas do it, that have done almost a million kilometres, if not over, and the battery is degraded by less than 15%. So I think, again, there's a lot of fear, uncertainty and doubt. I would argue if you if you had a million mile, you know, um, Ford of some description, it would be pretty knackered too. And it probably lost 10% of its performance as well. So I think there's, you know, that it, it, it's like any new tech. And I think when you've got an industry as big as the oil industry, there's a lot of um ways that they can in the same way as the tobacco industry tried and the same way as other industries that are on their way out they will always try to sort of um discredit what's coming through i guess so so yeah so, so that was what I'd say. and then the last thing i would say is as you rightly say battery technology is moving on so fast now so you've got sodium based batteries you've got coming through very shortly i think in the next sort of four or five years you'll start to see the true solid state batteries there's there's a lot more tech coming through um i mean one example is uh when we when we first designed our gt40 um it's a very tight packaged car i think we first sort of designed it with 40 kilowatt hours of battery because that's all we could fit with the technology at the time when it came onto the road when we eventually sort of packaged what we could with newer technology it's got 62 kilowatt hours so more than 50 percent more capacity in the same space so the, the the technology is moving on so so fast now um and new new technologies new chemistries um that will definitely reduce the use of some of the you know the more um kind of not only rare earth metals but but those that are considered to be you know risky for for various different sort of populations as well 
that's um that's really helpful and that's really encouraging that we can uh, that that's something that we can look forward to uh, i guess is the the that so much time energy manpower globally is going into the sector clearly that you know when you've got great minds like yourself and uh, and elon musk uh, to name but a few mm. Uh, yeah, you know, I guess that that's that's only going to develop. In terms of the range of your own vehicles, what sort of ranges are, are you able to are, are you able to deliver? So, yeah, so so we're not about high range. We're probably about it's probably the same philosophy, let's say, as um, Porsche have had, which is they're not the longest range cars in the world. They're arguably probably the one of the most fun EVs. Um, but then we focus very much on fast charging. So our so our Porsches will do 200 miles if you kind of don't drive it too hard, um, but we'll charge in about half an hour, you know, on a fast charger. Our GT40 is even, even quicker tech. So again, slightly lower range, probably near 170 miles. Um, although if you do 170 miles in GT40, you probably want to get out and stretch your legs <laughs> a bit, but that will charge zero, sorry, sorry, 20 to 80% in about 20 minutes. So, so it, it, these are cars, generally speaking, people do use them daily, and we've got customers both in the UK and uh, now in the US that are using them as daily drivers. But generally speaking, they're your weekend fun. And lots of our customers have a number of different cars that they can pull out when they then they want to, you know, go for a blat. Um, but then you look at, you know, I think the average journey in the UK is the daily journey is seven miles. Uh, it, 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 so kind of people say, well, what about doing that trip to Cornwall or that trip to whatever? That's probably twice a year for most people. Um, so, so it's one of those things where, I mean, I, I'll give you one example. I've in the last three years, I think I've done forty-two thousand miles in my two, two or three EVs that I've owned. Um, I've charged those. I've only ever used a public charger and needed to use a public charger four times in that forty thousand miles. So you can argue, I get ten thousand miles per charge when I'm out because every time I, I get out of the garage it's got 200 odd miles charged from uh, from my home charger I'm very lucky because I've got that um, and there's lots of people who live in apartments or living on street parking that that would be really really hard but today um, you know and but, but battery for tech as I say is improving all the time so yeah it's uh so ours aren't long distance cars there but they're you know smiles per mile you get a lot more out of our car than anybody else that's for sure well that's right and uh I think the the point you you were making about the the GT40, if someone did get 170 miles out of it, um, I think I think they're probably if they did do that in a single charge, maybe they're in the wrong car anyway, right? They they, they, they should pro- they should probably be dro- <laughs> maybe the, the Nissan Leaf is more for them. Um, Precisely. I I wanted I want to move to uh, just kind of more the more, my more some of my more standard questions now, just uh, mm. uh, just for consistency because I'm boring like that, um, but. Um, <laughs> What's you know you're a you know you're a serial entrepreneur and you've done, you've had incredible uh, some incredible successes um, both in you know both in your fintech businesses uh, which uh, which if we have time to do, to go into I'd love to talk to you more about that and obviously the the, the nursery business as well uh, with uh, with mm. your wife um, you know what's what are, but you know so you, you you're probably used to dealing with a lot of challenges and you've seen a lot now and and you're used to adapting to them but but you know what what are the biggest challenges you've experienced uh, you experience as a business owner and or business leader you know what you know what are the consistent common themes that you that you see and how, how have you gone about overcoming them mm. so i think like, i think we, we may have talked about this in the past i think 
Um, the problem with being a business owner is sometimes you expect everybody else in the business to, to, to act and think the same way as you do. And I think the reality is you've got to always remember that you're the owner and, and, and the employees, whilst you want to, them to be owners and you want to give them stock options and you want them to, to sort of uh, behave in a certain way. The reality is, that generally speaking, it's, it's in inverted commas, just a job for them. So you can't expect the same from them. So I think always trying to see uh see that reality um is is quite important and sometimes it's quite hard to um to kind of always think that way should we say you know when you're when you're still on email at 11 30 at night and you're back on at 6 30 7 o'clock in the morning um the fact that somebody hasn't responded to your email at 11 30 is probably fair <laughs> so yeah. um you know you, you can't expect the same of everybody um and then i think just generally um you know not only raising money, but operating businesses um, in difficult economic times or through pandemics and, and all the things that go with it uh, are always, you know, have have been challenging. And I think, you know, pulling yourself back up when when there's been a, a setback sometimes, you know, you have to be you have to be honest with yourself and say, look, this is going to be worth it in the end. And and I think that's that's part and parcel of, of being, you know, a relatively independent minded entrepreneur is that you just have to know that you know your gut is probably right and and you just have to keep going yeah i think the other thing is that you you seem to be one of those sort of suck it and see type entrepreneurs which i think i'm i'm of a similar mindset and so you sort of you just go screw it let's do it and and and, and you right. just sort of uh as as Re, was it reed hoffman says you know you 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 jump off uh, you jump off the cliff and you build the plane on the way down and hope you build the plane exactly. fast enough before you before you hit the ground um oh, right. you, you mentioned you mentioned uh share options and things like that as a as a means of employee uh, you know trying to get employees um you know uh, more aligned with with where with where you're going um in terms of Everati, is there a is is there a, a plan in the medium to long term around an exit? Is uh, you know I guess as at the moment it's still a relatively niche business. You know you know mm-hmm. ha, what what does that journey look like in terms of scaling and then getting and scaling and then some sort yeah. of exit? Uh, you know as yeah. I alluded to, maybe there's a maybe there's a trade purchaser or someone like that along the way. But you know what what do you think that that what do you think that looks like at, at current moment in time and obviously knowing that these things can change quite quickly yeah they can but i think um we're in a, a really exciting space you know we're we're in we're a tech business we're in clean tech which you know is is one of the fastest growing spaces there is we're in actually luxury which people forget you know we're, we're building hand-built luxury cars that are um priced at a point where that they appeal to a certain through the population um, and we're also you know we, we're fairly broad in that we have a b2b offering as well as a b2c offering as well um, and then lastly i'd say that you know we're constantly being approached can, you know do you sell merchandise can you sell bags people are buying into the brand which is which is really exciting which mm-hmm. was kind of what i always believed was, was important which is yes you could go to a any old yeah i say any old but a, a number of different companies that will just convert your car um we completely redefine it and it's hand built it's a very different proposition yeah um what that offers i suppose so so to answer the short to short to answer is absolutely there will you know the plan is to have an exit um, at some point in the next 
uh, everyone says it, but genuinely three to five years, I think, is, is a realistic time frame from where we are today. Um, and how big that exit will be, you know, no one can really tell, but I think there's opportunities in a number of spaces. So, for example, we're working, we're actually working for um, a luxury brand right now, which is, um, which is part of one of one of the biggest luxury brand conglomerates in the world um, that opens up doors potentially to a number of others. So, for example, um, you know, seeing one of our cars that branded, you know, with a with a luxury brand. Every time we do that, of course, it elevates our brand and, and, there's, and therefore there's opportunities to scale that um, right through to opportunities uh, with tech companies. So, you know, is it a, is it an exit to a luxury brand type business? Is it a, is it an exit to a tech business that, that does, you know, some of the components we're doing that wants to get closer to its to its customer uh, or, or redefine some of that customer uh, customer sort of um, uh, uh, profile, should we say, from a B2B to a B2C area. Um, and then I guess, you know, long, you know, th there's always the opportunity for some kind of uh, uh, listing at some point as well, depending on on sizes. And, and you know, there's quite a lot still weirdly SPAC activity in our space as well. You know, there's one just um, just last month, which is a, you know, a business in uh, in Florida that, that happens to be um, uh, restoring Land Rovers. They have a very small part of their businesses is EV, um, just being valued at $250 million plus. And so, so so there are quite a lot of things around the space that kind of suggest that there's a lot of interest, certainly. Um, and therefore, the buyer, should we say, could also be from, from one of a number of different spaces, whether it's, you know, whether it is a small listing or whether it is uh, luxury brands, technology brands, um, or associated companies that want to get into the space. Yeah, that maybe is doing electric boats and wants to get into cars or yeah there's, there's been kind of uh, opportunities i think um should open up over time anyway yeah that, that's very cool do you do you think you know using the stack as an example and also the fact that uh, you you've got a a build partner in the states and uh, presumably uh, a very large proportion of your customer base is in the states that's do right. you see do you see a shift in the shift in if not the headquarters, a, a big increase in your presence in the, U the US in terms of offices, offices, uh, engineering facilities, sale, you know, sales showrooms, etc. Um, you know, it, do you think that do you see that as a natural move for the company? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. So I think my, my gut feeling is we'll always retain the centre of engineering here in the UK for the reasons probably we've already discussed, which is talent pool um, and indeed. Um, being perfectly honest, cost as well. You know, we can employ really bright minds in in the engineering uh, and automotive sectors here far easier and far um, more cost effective than we might somewhere else. Um, but yes, absolutely. I mean, part of this fundraise and definitely the next fundraise um, is to establish uh, a proper foothold um, in North America. Um, Probably in, in in on the west coast, whether it's California or whether it's over the border in, in, in one of the other uh, neighbouring states. Um, but absolutely, you know, our, our our key thing now is to build principally sales, marketing, customer customer service um, footprint in the US, um, and that also clearly you know, makes us closer to our build partner in in California. Um, the great thing about the US as well, though, is that 
you know, it's a very big country, um, propensity to spend on the types of products we're, um, we're offering is, is high, you know, um, there's a lot of EVs, there's a huge car culture. Um, and if you look at the smile of the US, you know, you look at Western, you know, the, the Western states, um, down to Florida, back up to, you know, back, back up to New York. Yeah, we've got inquiries from everywhere from Vancouver, uh, Toronto, um, a lot in California, uh, Dallas, well, Texas, Florida, and then back up New York State and the Hamptons. So it's kind of where you'd expect, really. Um, but if you think that, you know, in terms of the car industry overall, I mean, you know, California is the fifth largest economy in the world, and it's going to be pretty much full EV by 2035 in terms of new cars. It's only going in one direction. So if you still like cars, um, we, we fit that bill fairly well. And you can offer, and you can offer the Californian consumer the the, the more you know the more well well healed ones uh, a, a degree of differentiation you know by being able to offer right. th- that classic carp that that is uh, that is non polluting. Um, what do you That's see right. in what do you see your challenges as the biggest challenges over the next eighteen months? Like what's you know you know if if you uh, I say challenges and or threats you know what and and mm. you know and. By by contrast, maybe what are the opportunity what are the opportunities as well that, that go alongside that? Yeah. So biggest challenge by definition will be those growing pains, you know, how, where do you put your best where do you put your resources um for, for maximum effect? And also um given that we don't currently have a, a proper footprint in um in North America, it by definition, just from a personal perspective, it's gonna be a lot more travel for, for me and probably a couple mm. of my colleagues. Um uh, and then outside of that, you know, barring any any further major uh, political or um, macroeconomic events, you know, however planned, you know, we we need to think about you know things like closing the funding and then truly activating on our on our plans. So yeah, it's really around um, you know making sure that we're utilising our resources as efficiently and as well as we possibly can. Um, and I don't have a crystal ball. You kind of you have a gut feel for these things, but you never 100% know that you're right. Um, and and yeah, it's going to be a lot of travel, a lot of activity around that that setup in in North America. Um, but opportunity-wise, we know that we're on the right track. You know, we we we're, we're getting new inquiries on a, a, a yeah, if not daily, certainly multiple in a week, and we get inquiries from the right people. You know, people who are um, kind of thought leaders in their in their space um you know whether they're in the tech industry the um uh the sports science industry i'm i'm, I'm naming a few here on our, on our database here some of the biggest and, and best known companies in in their space the ceos of those companies are approaching us to get a car built which you know is is being a really exciting opportunity for us and we now need to to, to you know deliver upon that so um so yes lots of challenges but but the opportunity is if you know if we continue to uh to scale and get it right um we should be in a in a very exciting position and it sounds like you're going to have a very very intense um you know couple of years ahead of you um i guess that's something you're not a stranger to what sort of positive habits um, and behaviours are you engaged in that, that are able to support that, uh, support that, and, mm. and help you maintain energy, but also help you stay balanced as well? So I think on on a, on a personal level, you know, I've 
very supportive um, family, wife, wife and kids, albeit, you know, you, you never like being away from them for too long. So that travel piece is, is never brilliant. Um, you know, the magic of WhatsApp video and FaceTime helps hugely, as, as, as I'm sure you know. Um, but yeah, the reality is you can't get away from the fact that you'd rather not be away from them for, for too long. Um, but yeah, hugely supportive uh, wife, which is which is you know I'm very very fortunate for. The other thing though is is hiring the right team. You know, knowing that you can't do everything, um, and and getting the right people in the right roles. Because um, you know I, I learned probably fairly early in my career that you know you can have the great ideas, but actually executing on those needs needs different disciplines. It needs different uh, types of individuals. Um, so I think, you know, I've never been a stranger, hopefully, to, you know, I, I am the CEO of the business, but I don't need to be because if there's somebody else that's better at that and I, and I can be just focused on raising money or dealing with high net worth customers or um, or being, if you like, the figurehead from a almost chairperson perspective, I'm fine with that. You know, yes, I'm the biggest shareholder, but actually it's about the success of, of this baby that we're we're kind of gestating and creating really so so we're, we're in a very um we're in a really fast moving industry uh we're an exciting industry um so it's really then about having the right people and the right team, team around you i mean are you on a do you think that you're in one of those lucky places where you know your your one of your hobbies is also happening to be your your day job so therefore you know it's it's not really work as such. It's actually just, you know, it, it, it it's a hobby that you're so. somehow. It's a hobby that somehow you're able to make make money out of, or make a li- making a living from. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, look, it's it, that's yeah, but completely. It's it's definitely my passion. Um. Uh, and it's a passion, as you as you say, if you can if you can kind of if you can make your work your passion. Generally speaking, it doesn't feel like work. Now that's not quite the point at the moment, um, because there's so much on, but. But yes, I mean, very fortunate. You know, next week we'll be at Salon Privé in, in in Chelsea, showing our amazing cars to you know the world. Um, there are I've got events at Silverstone, we've got events at Pebble Beach in California. We've got you know so so actually they're not terrible places to go. I'll be at Monaco Grand Prix. I'll be at Monaco, uh, the London um, uh, E Prix, which is the the Formula E. Um, so if you like cars and you like that kind of environment, um, it's not a terrible place to be. Um, but yeah, I mean, it all comes with its challenges. But I think the reality is, as you rightly say, if it's something that you love uh, in an industry that you're passionate about, it does make life much easier than than something that you're dreading to get out of bed for. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, I mean, I, I I can I can already hear the 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 jealous sighs and screams of our listeners uh, <laughs> of, of all these That's glamorous right. and exciting places that that you're going to be going to. Having you know, having only a month ago been in Cannes for uh, for the MIPIN Property Conference, uh, there's lots of selfies, there's lots of lovely images of Absolutely. of boats and sunshine. But uh, I, I can speak from experience that it that it does uh, does wear on you, believe it or not. Uh, I'm sure lots of people would line up to to swap places with 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 either of us. <laughs> That's right. Um, obviously, having had a lot of success with your previous companies, and uh, and and I guess you would have made you know substantial amounts of money out of um out of them as well do you think it was essential that you were you were doing something that you were passionate about um for this next venture because presumably and uh, you know as, as someone who's had a, a reasonable taste of success in the last few years if you're you know you know if you find yourself where your heart's not in something entirely 
in my experience it's very hard to motivate yourself just to just to do something for the sake of making money per se do you think that do you think that that is that that's essential in your own personal opinion or do you think that you know you, you're sufficiently professional that if you commit to something you're going to see it through regardless no i think so i think it depends on the stage in your career and and, and what you've been afforded the opportunity to do really so um yeah there are lots of people out there that are just excellent you know corporate animals or excellent you know whatever they do um it might not be their kind of passion but but kind of almost their passion becomes being good at those positions for me absolutely i've had um, businesses that are i'm not going to say means to an end because they were great fun and, and meeting great people but they weren't my passion you know i i'm not a passionate payments professional i'm not a pa pa passionate lender um but i am passionate about what i do now for, for a whole host of reasons you know i think a, a i love cars b i've got a true you know I, I i unfortunately believe climate change is is happening and i think we as a world need to do something about that drastically quickly now and even though we're, we're a tiny tiny solution to that um being involved in that space is, is quite 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 exciting um and then outside of that i do actually love tech and i love good design i suppose and yeah i love looking at beautiful cars i love um i love the technology that we're now kind of um developing and and engineering into these vehicles so so yeah and and, and as i say you know there's not many people uh, not many businesses i'm aware of that only started in you know uh sort of four years ago uh, that now can count quite a high number of really interesting um self-made multi-millionaires or billionaires as customers and, and and that affords you the the luxury of, of of you know conversations with them and meeting them for dinner and, and understanding a bit more about how they tick um and it's all about the people at the end of the day you know whether it's an investor a customer a journalist um and clearly our team as a whole we kind of love what we do um and that hopefully comes across in you know in, in the way people operate so yeah it's a long answer to a short question but the reality is i think it's really important to you know to, to be excited by what you do um uh, and i'm very conscious there's not many people mm. that can say that you know and, and that's a very very fortunate position to be in no absolutely but i think in some way you know in many ways the the businesses that you've had historically and the, the work that you've done historically it it it's it's afforded you the it's afforded you i suppose the headroom the 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 space to be able to go and do something to do do something in business that, that's much more aligned with the things that you're passionate about right. and care about so you know i think i think in, in a short way of, a shorter way of saying is that you you've earned you've earned the right to do what you're doing now um and you know and more power to you because it clearly looks like you're you know you're getting to mix with some fascinating people and that by its own nature will then elevate you even further in terms of anything you do further in your life so uh, and your career so that's that's very exciting um sort of just on looking now sort of to close things out but I, if you could distill like one thing that you would identify as your superpower like i mean i i'm sure lots of people who already listen to this could probably list the list list many things themselves but mm. you know what do you think that you know the one two three things that you you know that you just you just do every do, do better than everyone else uh mm. that's that has been, enabled you to be a success not just within everati but in all the previous businesses and during your career 
um, up to that I point. Think, you know, it's really hard because I'm not brilliant at talking. I love talking about the business. I don't, you know, I'm not necessarily um, uh, massively good at talking about myself. But I think that the, what I've learned over time is that that gut instinct, that gut feel for when something's right and when some, something's worth fighting for um, is something that you learn over time. I think kids have it. Uh, I think young, young adults and then into adulthood, you kind of lose it for various different reasons. But I think having a gut instinct and a gut kind of feel for something um, is is re- is hugely valuable. And, and I'm, I've been fortunate enough to um, kind of lean on that in my, not only in my career, but some of my, my personal life. But also when I don't do that, things go wrong. And I think, you know, you kind of almost, um, you have to remember that there are, bigger things afoot sometimes that you kind of have an intuition um, and actually listening and listening into that as an individual is really important. Um, so that's probably, whether it's a superpower, I'm not sure, but it's certainly something that I've learned to um, make use of um, over time. And and I want to be able to do that more because, you know, spiritually and, and otherwise, I'm not, I'm not hugely, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not religious in, in any way, but I think there are, things happen for a reason and actually you end up sort of realizing that sort of after the event when you've make, made some of the decisions you have so um yeah I think just being close to that sort of feel feel factor as an individual is really important yeah so it sounds like you've got very very strong gut instincts that have really uh, really worked to your advantage uh, in the uh, in the in the past and it sounds like something you continue to leverage uh up to this point and uh yeah clearly it's work it's worked very well for you but no doubt you know there's there, there are many other qualities that you probably uh, uh would also say that you know you, you sound like you're very hard working you're very committed uh very dedicated right. you you know you 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 follow your passions which i think is a, a really uh really excellent trait right. and uh yeah i mean i think i could go on but uh you know i think uh I don't think our audience wants to hear me gushing over how wonderful you are, Justin, even though it's very clear that you are a very accomplished guy. We'll do that over a pint. We can do that. We can do do that over a pint. Uh, No. okay. well, listen, um, Justin, I want to say thank you for for joining uh, me and our listeners today. Where can people find you on social media if uh, if you'd like people to to reach out to you? Yeah, definitely. So. Everati, Everati Cars on on Instagram, Everati.com, and Everati is E V E R and then R A T I. Just briefly, what does that mean? So Ever um, is really trying to keep these beautiful, amazing cars on the road for as long as possible, if not forever. Uh, Rati is the Hindu goddess of love, passion, and it turns out carnal desire, which is what a lot of uh, people feel about <laughs> their cars. So, um, so that has a meaning to it. So everati.com and of course LinkedIn, people can reach out to me and, and find me there as well. So um, yeah, we're very fortunate. We've got just a great following um, that we put up over the last couple of years um, and very active people involved in, in trying to help us succeed. So um, yeah, I'd love to hear from people that, that, have, that have heard this and maybe even want to come for a drive one day as well. Well, that's uh, th- there you go. There you go, listeners. Please uh, reach out to Everati and uh, Justin on LinkedIn or Everati on on Instagram, and uh, you never know, you might get the chance to have uh, have a test drive in in one of their uh, magnificent vehicles. Well, uh, Justin, uh, all that leaves me to say is thank you very much for joining us. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, maybe we'll have to have you on again to talk about some of those earlier businesses in a round two. But uh, for now, thank you.
Thank you, Michael. It's been a pleasure. A big thank you goes out to the official sponsor of the Property Funder podcast, Avonmore Capital, a property bridging and development lender located here in London. They, as much as me, understand the importance of somebody's story and how they got to where they are. Lending on projects from just £250,000 across the entirety of England and Wales, their understanding of all development backgrounds and can help support you at any stage in a scheme, even if you just have one brick down. Visit www.avonmorecapital.com to find out more about how they can help you in your development journey. Thanks so much for tuning into this podcast. I hope you can go away having learned something new and even picked up some new things to apply to your day today. Catch us in the next episode for another interesting story.